if there's one thing the internet does need, it's more low quality content. So never put out anything you're not proud of. There's so much fluff on the internet that is so low quality and it would just make your brand look, look bad. So care extremely much about putting out high quality stuff at the highest volume you can do, but make sure it's high quality. What does it really mean to be a thought leader in B2B? That's what we're here to find out. This is The Notorious Thought Leader, a podcast for B2B marketers who want to generate demand by creating content that builds credibility and thought leadership. In each episode, Aaron Balsa helps demystify thought leadership and uncovers how companies are using thought leadership to generate demand. Let's get started. My guest today is Stefan Hedebrandt, CMO and co-founder at Dream Data. Thanks for being here, Stefan. Thanks a lot for, for inviting me, Erin. I'm really, really looking forward to it. Same. So regular listeners know that I kick off every episode by asking the same question, what the fuck is thought leadership? But today is the dawn of a new day, Stefan. So I started the show eight months ago to really, it was a passion project, and I really just wanted to develop a collective understanding of the term thought leadership. And, you know, after conducting 20 interviews with marketers and leaders such as yourself, I think we have accomplished that goal. So going forward, I'm going to retire the question and I'm going to focus less on what thought leadership is and more on how to build and execute content strategies that build thought leadership. So to that end, I'd love to talk today about how thought leadership comes into play at Dream Data. But first, can you just tell me and the listeners a little bit about what your company does? Yeah, happy to, Erin. Like in simple terms, you can say that we want to help our customers understand how they produce pipeline and revenue. We only work with, uh, with B2B companies. And our approach to this is essentially to provide a, uh, you can say, a B2B go-to-market data platform that contains any digital touch that touches your accounts. So we can help you understand the timeline of every account and the things that are consistently present when you win deals. And we can help you spot marketing activities, sales activities, et cetera, that, you know, doesn't yield any, any return. Uh, the way we do that is that we extract data out of wherever, uh, whatever silo that it lives within. Typically, that's a CRM system, marketing automation system, a website, ad platforms, etc. So we want to have it all into one bucket, and then our algorithm starts to to clean it up and analyze this data. And the last thing we now start to do is this, as well also is also acting upon the, this data, where we can help inform ad platforms about which ads to buy and which which people to show the ads to, et cetera. So it's essentially, we'll take everything that touches your customer journeys and try to make you smarter and act, act upon it as well. And God, there's such a huge need for that. I know with the majority of the clients that I start working with, not all, but many have a, a huge problem with trying to understand where their best customers are coming from. And, you know, a lot of times it's because they just don't have, you know, a single source of truth for their siloed data. And I noticed that you actually frame your solution that way on your website. So it says, the modern B2B go-to-market tech stack is disjointed and siloed. 
And hell yes, I think most of us that have worked in marketing for any uh, length of time know that that is absolutely true. And then you also say, Dream Data puts an end to silos and delivers a single source of truth, which is so needed. So it's a really clear before and after. I love it. You know, it's a really clear problem and solution. You do a really good job expressing that. And I personally believe that, you know, effective content marketing requires empathy and a deep understanding of your target markets, your target audience's problem, right? If you don't understand the problem, how can you ever truly give them a solution? So before you started this company, you were a former head of marketing. Mm. Did you personally struggle with this problem yourself? Yeah, I would say I, I severely struggled with it because I think what, when, what you discover when you've been in, in marketing long enough is that... <laughs> Uh, if you don't have any good arguments, preferably data that you can show, then it's it can be hard to attain budgets or to maintain headcounts or get more budget to try new stuff. So I've always been interested in this question about how is it that we produce money? <laughs> how is it that we make money in this company? Because I think all of us that, that are, have tried B2B know that customers doesn't just show up at your doorstep it takes a very, very long path uh, to get there. And to give you like a simple example of this problem and why I thought this, that there's probably a company you could build here if somebody had the technology. <laughs> In my last tenure at my last company, I was, where I was leading the marketing team from one year to another. We'd been heavily relying on, on paid ads as kind of the driver of demand, but we also knew that we couldn't just keep going down that path forever. You can't win six, seven figure deals, just getting clicks on Facebook ads. So from one year to another, we, uh, we hired a, a content team with a writer, a designer, a videographer, and a manager for, for the team. And for the first period, I could only show the management team that, okay, organic traffic in Google Analytics is going up or, you know, in the search engine tool we were using, rankings were improving, but you can't pay salary with any of the, of these two things. And what I then coincidentally got introduced to my now two co-founders, uh, Lars and Ole, they had been solving this problem uh, at another company where they were at before. And we gave them access to, to our data and with their ugly prototype, <laughs> they could actually show me that some of the content pieces that this team has been, had been developing were actually super valuable. In this case, it was uh, like very specifically, it was alternative articles to the biggest brands in the industry that we were trying to compete. And we could see that there would be like $60,000 associated to one of these articles, $80,000 to another of these articles. What I mean by that is like actual deals that were closed one that started their journeys from these pieces of content that we had been developing. So... I, I could really see there that, okay, this is, I know is a, is a very real problem for anybody in B2B because the, the odds are stacked against you in marketing, because if you have your journey, then like sales are the ones that signs the contracts, but contracts doesn't just get signed and they, they have to, the demand has to come from somewhere. And quite often it comes out of content either used in ads or like being found organically through Google or, or some other search engine. Yeah, a lot of times as content marketers, you know, we we have this feeling that our content is driving demand, 
we hear it anecdotally. You know, we might ask this question on sales calls. We might have a form when people, you know, request a demo or sign up for the free trial. How yeah. did you hear about us? And if we get lucky, they'll actually remember, oh, it was this report or it was this podcast episode. We don't usually get that lucky where we get specifics. Yeah. So it's really <laughs> hard to know. And another problem I've seen that I'm, I'm curious if your solution is able to solve or if this is kind of like a step back. Yeah. I've seen some companies who they're not properly set up with attribution. And then within Salesforce, they'll have like one giant campaign with a lump in all thought leadership. So that could be their webinar, their podcast, their reports, it's all just in one Salesforce campaign. And mm. then you can see, okay, great. So basically all the marketing we've done other than paid ads um, has contributed to this much revenue, but it's really hard to distill if it's coming from the podcast, if it's coming from an individual report, or like you said, an individual article or content series. So what if a, you know, a B2B company has, you know, all of their thought leadership content campaigns in one Salesforce campaign. Is that a problem you can solve? Or would that be something where you're kind of working with them to to teach them how to first set up campaigns so that your your software is able to help? Yeah, it's, it's you know, that's what would be a classical uh, thing for us to help people understand. I think one of the problems here is that, as you mentioned, like people you try to use their CRM system as a as a data platform for for solving all issues, but it's not that. It's it's by definition, it's a tool that salespeople use to keep track of contacts and emails and calls and meetings. So it's not really wired to to understand things like the impact of content uh, content and different pieces of content. So the way um, that our product works is that we will we can use Salesforce campaigns if the company finds it meaningful. But normally we would do our own, uh, you can say, modeling of the data. And what we typically use is the tracking script we have that sits on people's website. We will monitor every single session that people have, whether they're anonymous or we now know who they are. And then we can look at, did they look at webinars? Did they look at thought leadership pieces, downloaded eBooks, uh, et cetera? And then you can basically go as granular as you want on each piece of content. We do also have a content analytics feature where we can look at which pieces of content do people look at if they sign contracts with you, which is something that I've started to become more and more interested in. I think typically you've, you've looked at content through the lens of which page do people land on mm -hmm. and what happens in that one single session when people land on this page from an ad organically or wherever they come from. We can reverse that so you can look at, okay, every URL that this account that we want looked at, which are those, and then we can summarize that up to, um, you know, all the accounts that you've won. And what we typically see is that the pages that influence real revenue is very typically not the pages that would be the traffic driver or the landing page. So it's boring stuff like the about page people care about, integrations page, your community page, all these kind of pages where you would go to do your due diligence when you're making a decision about buying a product. So it really like it flips uh, your attention about well, what is really important. It's not about getting people to decide. It's also about making sure that when they're in a buying process, that the pages that they look at is actually convincing and you know, making them feel comfortable about signing a contract with your company. 
Totally. I mean, every content marketer, content marketing leader listening is like salivating right now at the thought of being able to show those journeys so clearly. That's like any any marketer, especially content marketers dream. And we don't typically get so lucky. So marketing attribution is obviously a complex topic. Yeah. And when you hire people to create content, you know, do you look for subject matter experts who really deeply understand the problem space like yourself? Or do you look for a different skill set? Hmm. Good question. I think like one thing is that, you know, we're based in Denmark. So one thing we do, the first thing we look for is somebody who's a native speaker, like uh, British or American. So like once that's checked off the list, then I tend to look more for whether people are great writers or not. And hopefully you'll start to see as they, as when, as they write that they actually demonstrate that they have some ability to dig deeper into what is it your product product does and why is it important, et cetera. I think it's okay that you you don't know a, a very niche, geeky uh, t- topic like marketing attribution, but if you have a natural uh, curiosity and passion for, for learning stuff, I think that's probably more important. And then, you know, a natural ability to be a, a pretty good writer. Then we have plenty of people at our company who can be subject matter experts on things as data warehouses, attribution, ads, <laughs> all that kind of thing. That's so what we typically do is we, whenever we define uh, an article that we want to write, if it's a technical one, he, you know, maybe the writer sits together with the data scientist and interviews them. Like back when we started the company, it was me who had to sit next to our CTO and then it would, it would be like, okay, Explain me about how it is our product does this thing. Then I talked with him and tried to then verbalize it in a way that I thought that our ideal customers would be able to to actually understand it and find it valuable. And you yourself, you have a writing background too, correct? Yeah, I, uh, I've been uh, in Danish though. So Danish. I've been also writing a, a bit of English, but... I think writing is just such a crucial skill in this day and age where all comes go through the internet and goes public on all social media. So yeah, I really do appreciate people that can write. Yeah, same with me. Like when I look for writers, I actually help my clients hire both full-time and freelance talent. And I look first and foremost for the, the raw writing talent. And that might be someone a little more junior who just, you know, needs to learn all about how to optimize content or they need to really learn about how to, you know, put together a strategic campaign. But they Mm. have that raw talent and then drive. Drive is so important. Someone who's like curious and wants to do their best and ask the right questions. Like I look for that, too. If you can also get a subject matter expert, that's amazing. But that's going to be really, really hard to find someone who has everything, probably at your price point. It gets more difficult. Yeah. I think also nowadays, I guess the two of us know, but not everybody knows that there's so much software out there that can support your writing. Yeah. I think one of my first favorites, uh, writer helpers, is is an app called the Hemingway app. Yeah, I love it. Uh, it's just so good because I, I sometimes I tend to write two long sentences and Ernest Hemingway was known for like writing short exact sentences and this software just helps by an algorithm to spot where you go way too long or you use too many, I think it's called adjectives uh, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So if you don't know Hemingway, uh, put it, put your writing in there 
but all, you know, there's Grammarly, Grammarly as well to fix whatever you write. And nowadays, I'm starting to become more and more aware that you have to take this chat GPT uh, serious as well. How exactly to use it yet? I'm, I think I'm still tooling around with a little bit with with. Same. What we've done is um, like our developers, when they do release notes, most developers don't like to write. So they can just like do really rough release notes and then they can put it into chat GPT and say, please write this a little bit better in English than, than what I've done here. And then you have that. Yeah. The same thing with if there's new topics that you don't know that much about. I play around with ChatGPT and like take in some of the the replies that comes there, and then maybe you have the backbones of a of, of an article you could write there. But is this thought leadership then, or is it uh, just right. you looking like uh, anybody else who starts to to use ChatGPT, which most of the internet will be doing within the next one two exactly. years? Exactly. Yeah, that's great for you know educational blogs, but like you said. It's not going to be anything new that you're adding to the conversation. So if you are using, you know, thought leadership or if that's part of your strategy to drive demand, then, you know, chat GPT is not good for that. You can definitely use it as part of your your content production team. But I wouldn't say that it is really useful for, for coming up with net new content, at least not yet. Who knows in the future yeah. <laughs> where it's going to go, but not today. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But I got to say, you know, you're doing a solid job with your content marketing. Shout out to Jeremy. He's doing a great job from what I can see. Uh, there are a few things that I love about your website and your content. And I just wanted to share those with you and I'll ask a few questions. It. Yeah. So first, if you hover over data platform in your top nav, you see the word transformation. And so, you know, this must have been intentional. Why did you lean into the word transformation? Yeah, so this is actually where you can say our website and business is a little bit challenging because, like roughly speaking, maybe we have two uh, personas we need to cater to. We have marketers, which I, I know very deeply, but then there's also the uh, ops, the data engineers, data scientists of the companies where I'm not a subject matter expert. So, so like a word like transformation, we've gotten that out of, you know, our data science team and our CTO that can tell us, you know, when it's called data, it's called transformation. It's not called changing or different, um, different adjectives. So, and I think this is so, 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 so important when you make content that you need to use the words that your little niche uh, ICP is using or otherwise they will spot your bullshit <laughs> immediately. Right. Like I can tell that when marketers are talking, whether it's just fluff or they, there's, there's really some substance there, but I can't do it always when it comes to like data uh, programming, engineering stuff. So then we go to our engineers and ask, like, is this legit? Are we using the wrong words here? Or like, I don't know if, how you've been going about this, Erin, where you're going into functions where you're not really the subject matter experts uh, on things. Yeah, I mean, so I write for a lot of sales tech and RevOps tech type companies. Yeah. So yeah. they're speaking a lot to ops people as well. Yeah. 
And really, you know, I've never worked in ops. I have a general understanding as I was a former marketing director. So I partnered mm. with the ops team. Yeah. I had the same attribution challenges that all marketing leaders have had that your company is solving for. Yeah. So I understand it, but I do not know all the terminology that they use. I have not been an ops professional for two decades. Mm. So yeah, it's just by talking to customers and talking to internal subject matter experts in the space. When I started at my last company, we were creating content for, you know, CHROs, like C-level HR leaders at organizations. Some of them were very large. So these are very smart people who might have Absolutely. been working in their career for 30 years. Yeah. And here's me like, hey, day one, I'm writing content and I don't necessarily know. So one of the first things I like to do, if possible, is get access to the customers. Start off by interviewing customers and not just for learning. You can interview them for learning while also creating case studies, customer stories. And that's a really good way to make sure you understand, A, the inflection points that cause people to want to reach out to request a demo or to sign up for a free product. Yeah. Um, you're also understanding the lexicon that they use within their industry and their profession. And it's just a really kind of low-hanging fruit, easy way to accomplish both tasks. You're already yeah. creating content, making some early impact, while also getting to deeply understand. The, yeah, nowadays the there is serve. also, um, yeah, like, there's the old school way of just, you know, sitting in on sales calls. So like yep. the sales meeting has a meeting book with an, you know, an ICP customer. You just yeah. sit on it and listen to what they say. But it also comes in an aggregated form now through Gong and other players that if the salespeople actually record all their calls, right. you can go in and re-listen to what is the words that the customers are saying that we should probably steal and reuse on our website because that seems to be the terminology that a CHRO would be, be using nowadays. Yes. Oh my God, those tools are amazing. Conversation intelligence tools and they're getting really advanced. There's a tool called Q for Sales now, and it doesn't just look at the words that someone's saying, which of course that's important, but words can be taken out of context, right? So it also can look at your tone of voice when you're saying something, your pupil dilation, your facial expressions. You can really get context around how your content or your, your words are landing. And it's so, so important, not only for sales, but for anyone on the GTM team, you know, yeah. marketers, you want to make sure you're taking those learnings to inform your content campaigns, people that are helping with sales enablement, you definitely want to be watching those, maybe not the whole call, nobody has time for that, but at least be surfacing those key moments. And those tools are really good for helping yeah. you surface those key moments. There's a, there's a, there's a Danish company that's called Develop Diverse. They're basically help people write better job uh, ads. Oh, cool. And it was, it, was, it was quite funny. I was I, I put I put up a job post recently where it was kind of just, you need to have these ten skills, otherwise don't apply to the job or something like that. Hmm. And when you use this technology, you start to spot that that's a super masculine way way of of writing. Right. So like you're probably only gonna get men. like eighty percent men applying for this job because no one is able to do all these skills. But men thinks oh, I can do it anyway. <laughs> Whereas yeah. like like stereotypically like females would be more like oh i can't do all these things so i'm not going to apply for these things so i was just coming back to what you said about voice and tone it matters Im uh, immensely <laughs> in how you write sound yeah. like is it, are we safe here are we aggressive <laughs> what are we doing here so you have to be super aware about these things and especially leaders who are contributing to 
either writing or reviewing job ads to build their dream team, you absolutely need to be looking out that you're not using words like, you know, crush your goals or those are really masculine words. And it's great. You definitely Did you read to... my job post? <laughs> yeah, right. You're like, hey, we want to make sure that you're using words that are going to attract, you know, the right kind of people. And maybe, you know, you don't also want to use words that are going to push great people away because they're going to think, oh, I'm not going to fit with this culture. Like that word turns me off. So it's always good to get a second set of eyes on your job ads if that's something yeah, you're not currently agree. doing. Cool. So when I create content strategies for clients, I use content pillars and they always map back to product capabilities and use cases. Mm. So, you know, data transformation for you would be like a natural content pillar. So can you tell me about a successful content marketing campaign that focused on, you know, a pillar topic and helped you position Dream Data as a thought leader? Yeah, there's actually, there's one that we were quite pride, proud of. And you can say the content pillar here is customer journeys or B2B customer journeys which is, you know, at the core of what we do that, that we help our customers explain, understand. And last year, we, we did a study of, of our present customers where we averaged or we, we generalized the data. So I kept it anonymous, but started to look at how long are our, is our customer journey actually, like, and then turned that into a benchmark report where we could say like the average customer journey in a B2B company would dream that it would be 192 days from the first touch until somebody bought. That'd be more than two people involved in every deal. There was 31 sessions involved in, in every deal. And these, uh, these benchmarks really caught the eye, I would say, of a lot of B2B marketers out there on LinkedIn, but also different kind of software vendors started to spot the, that they had these benchmarks came out in their favor. So a good example is that we, we found in our benchmarks are like real benchmarks, perhaps not scientifically correct benchmarks, but it was more than 400 companies that we looked at, that if people come from review platforms, they convert faster into new business, they're more likely to, to become new customers. And G2 took that benchmark report and started to pitch that to journalists because yeah. here's some unique data that we've not seen anywhere else. And we want to let more of our followers know that if you come from a re review platform to a website, then that's high quality traffic for your business. Mm -hmm. so this thing, and this is what I, I think that's how I perceive thought leadership is when you have something unique to offer to the to the industry the niche uh, that you're in that's when you're like kind of you know, just breaking down the word thought leadership that is when you're leading the thinking in your uh, your industry right oh the customer journey is at actually on average 192 days that's a lot longer than the salespeople replying oh when we get a lead in the CRM system they convert in 80 days or whatever they, they reply. So we found right. out the journey is actually a lot longer than what the, the salespeople expect. Yeah, because they give all the activities that happen before they ever fill out the form, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, so I love that. I talk a lot about original research. I, I do mostly survey-based research, but I also think and have done exactly what you're doing, which is taking your anonymized user data and finding interesting benchmarks. That's also a great example of 
co-marketing, you know, either partnering with another company from the get-go or finding a way to work in another company into your content so that they then help you spread the message, distribute that content because it makes them look great too. Why wouldn't they want to distribute that? Actually didn't think about it as a strategy before you said it now, Erin, but that is actually brilliant. If you can find a partner that has like 10x reach uh, of what you do, then they will be the happy messenger of, uh, of your content, I'm pretty sure. For sure. And something we've done before in the past with success is bringing in a co-marketing partner with a bigger audience. And you do that by offering to do all the heavy lifting. You're footing the bill for, you know, the survey, the study. You're the one doing the content. You're going to design it and write it. You're going to co-brand it, put their logo on it, and then they will help you distribute it. Mm. And a lot of companies do this. It's really smart. It's a good way to, to extend your reach. <laughs> Who doesn't like free, high quality uh, right? content? Like what? <laughs> most, yeah. All right. So back to what I love about your website. Number two, I think you do an amazing job of using graphics and graphic design to help people wrap their heads around complex subjects. So you have a nice before and after graphic on the homepage showing this siloed GTM tech stack versus this really nice holistic solution that can bring all your data together in a centralized way. And then again, under that data platform dropdown, you use graphics to visualize the flow of data through your platform. So first you extract the user data from across your tech stack, then you transform the data by cleaning it, enriching it, and so on. Super simple to understand. I think you do a great job there. So how important is graphic design when it comes to evangelizing that transformation, that before and after state. Yeah, I think you, you just dip your toes in how important it is. I think it's, you know, people learn and perceive things in different ways. And some do like just to read really long stuff or like listen to a podcast. But I think a lot of times a an illustration where you've really put some thoughts into uh, crystallizing what is the complex thing here and how can we in a simple way explain what it is that goes a long way. And you know, it's always a battle for, for people's attention. And, you know, the next minute the phone will ring or somebody writes you on Messenger or something like that. So if you only have these 30 seconds, one minute, two minute with people, then the graphics you have on your website needs to be super crystal clear for, for people to perceive, okay, what is this product? What's it, what is it that it does? Uh, is it valuable for my company and so forth? Love it. Even within articles, blog posts, I think it's really important to Both include screenshots when appropriate and also just graphic visualizations, a tool that I use all the time. It's a free tool, although I did eventually upgrade to the paid plan because I love it so much. It's called Excaladraw, Mm -hmm. and it lets you create these really nice visuals, which you can then put in line with your content, pass it off to your designer, and they can design it on brand. But if you have the paid plan, you can actually use custom brand colors. So you could Mm -hmm. even just use those. They're very lo-fi, but they're very cool, and you can just ship your content faster without having to wait to, you know, push it through the creative team. And a lot of times that's a pain point for a lot of the companies I work with because it can slow content production down by several weeks. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So third, under the resources dropdown, I love that you have a mix of content formats. So you have a podcast where you explore the biggest challenges that your audience faces along with innovative solutions. You have a content series called Recipes, which is essentially product-led content You're showing people how to solve specific problems using dream data. For example, know which Google Google ads campaigns to scrap with dream data. So people know they're burning money. 
They know that they're, you know, spending all this money on ads and they're not 100% clear on which ones are actually performing. Mm. So you're going to show them through screenshots and a video. You actually walk them through doing this, which I think is really smart. And you use a transcript underneath the video for people that don't want to sit there and watch the whole video. And for the search engine as well. <laughs> and for the search engines, which is another, another question I'm getting to. And a blog that features not just basic educational articles, but also that original data-driven insights that we were just talking about. So for example, your B2B email benchmarks where you also explored anonymized aggregated data from your users. So I'm not sure if you've seen floating around on the internet, but I have a, a framework that I created called the Content Sweet Spot Framework, and I use it with my clients. It essentially enables anyone to do exactly what you're doing, which is create a content strategy that incorporates your strategic narrative, which is essentially your, you know, your before, your after, that transformation, your product, which is you know either your product-led content or just your content that talks about things that map back to your product capabilities, your original idea, which is your podcast and your uh, original insights from your, your users. And then the fourth component in my model is your high value keywords. So you just hinted at this when you said transcripts are for SEO value, but is optimizing your site for search something that you are focused on? Yeah. So yeah. First of all, thank you so much for for talking so positively about our our website. I'll I'll make sure to mention it to the team. Yeah. Um. So, yes, absolutely. We we do care a lot about on page optimization of of our website. And I think that's the short way to put it. We we use a tool called Hrefs, Hrefs dot com, that you know helps scan the website for any like flaws, etc. Um. So we try to. For every article we put out, the most important thing is that it's it's valuable for the for the reader of it. But secondly, if we can spot the keywords in there align around a certain topic, we will like comb it a little bit to make sure that it has a chance uh, in the Google lottery uh, as well. Um, is and kind of actually so SEO was kind of one of my the first crafts I learned in marketing. So I've Still keep it on the radar, but it's for many companies that don't think SEO as a standalone thing will, will be the what saves uh, your company, unless you're extremely good at it, then it can be highly effective. But what I mean is in, in our industry, we're competing against uh, people who, who knows the game as well. So you kind of, that's why actually I thought, thought leadership is going to be much more important than trying to rank on marketing attribution, because then, you know, Okay, we're competing against HubSpot. Great. Okay, right. <laughs> we're going to take number one on that one. So it's much more important to to create unique thought leadership content at large, rather than trying to think about SEO as the one that is going to completely nail all the demand that that we need. Does Does that make sense? Uh, I couldn't agree more. Okay. It makes perfect <laughs> sense, and it's how I approach. Uh content strategies, I never just do SEO. It's always this kind of holistic model that all works together. And especially as the internet's getting more saturated and will only get more saturated with the rise of AI created content. Yeah, actually, one thing you just said, reminded me, one thing you just said before, I think it's extremely important that the content connects to your product, like what you're yeah. trying to sell, because we, as, as, as marketers, we cannot, for, it's, we have to tell great stories 
but it also have to connect to the product that we represent. Otherwise, you know, most likely no revenue is going to come out of it. And if no right. revenue is going to come out of it, we're going to get fired or the business is going to run out of money or, or something right. like that. So I think the, the magic is then like joining the great storytelling, the great content together with, you know, sometimes you just need to do a screenshot or a small video of how the product works. That needs to be kind of some kind of bridge from the consumption of this great piece of content into uh, something that you can buy, <laughs> which is going to fund your salary and all that, For all sure. the, those kind of things. So last question, if you were going to leave listeners with any tip or a bit of advice, it could be professional or personal, what would that be? I think uh, now that we're like speaking to content marketers, if there's one thing the internet does need, it's more low quality content. So never put out anything you're not proud of. There's so much fluff on the internet that is so low quality and it would just make your brains look, look bad. So care extremely much about putting out high quality stuff at the highest volume you can do, but make sure it's high quality. Hallelujah. All right. That's a great note to end this episode on. Listeners, if you go to the show notes on Motion, my podcast agency site, I will leave links so that you can connect with Stefan and check out the amazing Dream Data website. So thank you so much, Stefan, for coming on the show. I hope you have a great rest of the day. Thank you, Erin. Thanks for joining us on this episode of The Notorious Thought Leader. If you're looking for more stories from marketers who are generating demand from thought leadership, then visit us at motionagency.io slash notorious. See you next time.